Baruch Ata Adonai Haboker Batora Uvmoshe Abdo Uvisrael Amo Uvin Vie Ha Emet Vazedek Viskut Mashiach Yeshua Amen. Amen. Well, Shalom, everybody. We'd like to welcome you to the lightning round of the Hotter Get You Some. This is Parsha Achare Mot, and I'm handing it over to Hasis. Everybody buckle up, and here we go. Hi, Brukashem. So, um, we have we are in a very uh, auspicious occasion. Um, so much kedusha. We have this is the week of uh, Shabbat Gavura in our Omer counting. We just got through um, uh, got through the whole week of Pesach and then the whole first week of the Omer. Yeah, yeah. And so, very exciting time. Um, even more interesting, you know, uh, say say the word Yavor, it's really like this idea of, of strength and uh, to to do what's necessary to battle the evil that's either inside of you or outside of you. And what's very interesting is this is actually the week of the attack against Jericho. Oh, And so we the on Friday will be the anniversary of the walls falling. Wow. And so uh, it's, it's just extremely interesting. You know, you have uh, Yehoshua going in here, going into Jericho, and he meets, he meets the angel. We've talked about this before. But he says something that's just e- extremely, extremely interesting. And that's just, you know, are you for us or against us? The angel says, hey, uh, I'm on, I'm essentially I'm on a shim side. Right. And, you know, just to tie this into our, our half Torah, you know, we, um, we have this, these, these few characters that seem to be of this mentality as well. And get, I'm going to tab on that idea here in a second. Um, but we, we see that before Yehosh could actually conquer the city, he had to have this understanding of not necessarily his side, not necessarily his war, him being right. He had to have the understanding that this is a Shim's, a Shim's war, and I've got to be on his side. Mm. And so this angel kind of realigned things for him. And, uh, ex- extremely interesting that uh the the gemara brings down and we i think we mentioned this before too the gemara brings down in nedarim 22b that had had not clause Israel sinned only the five books of moshe and the book of yehosha would have been given to them because it records the apport, apportionment of eretz israel wow and so just to kind of understand what that means maybe a, a deeper allusion to what the gemara is is hinting at here literally have the torah and the fulfillment of the torah is is literally the book of yehoshua mm. right this is it's, it's like it was meant to be his his elevated status and we talked about before yehoshua is named like yeshua right but because it was actually due it goes on and talk about that because of our sins we were given the 24 other books of the Bible. Well then. 
And so what's extremely interesting about this is uh, you have, uh, looking at that number 2024, 20, right, we'll get to that in a second, but you have uh, Yeshua losing his position because of our sins, relinquishes his position because of our sins, and then you have these, these 24 other parts of the Bible. Well, the interesting point of 24 is this is actually the full spelling of the name David, David. 24? And so, yes, you have Dalit, Vav, Yud, Dalit. Ah. So 14 is David, then you have the right. Yud in his name, like you say in the, the Sukkah blessing, rise up the fallen Sukkah of David, um, has little Yud in it. And so, literally, you have, you know, the because of our sins, Yeshua literally dies, right? And then you have this, this full 24 books of the Bible. You have this elevated Mashiach ben David, the, the reigning Mashiach, Yeshua's return, if you will. Wow. And so, you know, I highlight that because that's really what this whole half tour is about. You have Yeshua, who's, who's of the tribe. You know, he's, he's one of Rachel's descendants. He's like the Mashiach ben Yosef, one of Yosef's descendants explicitly. And then you have Mashiach ben David. And this whole half Torah is incredible because it's really the transition period, or the transition between like this, this kingship of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Hmm. And, you know, you, you see Yehoshua, we, we mentioned earlier, he had to go through this change. And hey, it's not about me. It's about what Hashem wants. Nice. And this is really the difference between David and Saul. And a lot of times we, we misunderstand Saul and we, we're like, okay, well, this guy, is he, is he crazy? Is he mad? You know, it does mention there's, there's like an evil spirit that, that came upon him, a spirit of depression, all, all these things. But what really separated Saul from David was David was a man who you know, he let his intellect guide his heart. David, it mentions, you know, uh, in different Midrashim that, that he had a lot of internal struggle. And you look at how he grew up and him being an outcast, him being put down, like he had a lot of, uh, of heartache, a lot of pain. And so he literally had to speak into his heart and he had to guide himself to the right action through his, through his intellect. And then you have Saul, on the other hand, who it's very interesting that, you know, this, the sages say that he was literally without blemish. He was without blemish. You know, his, his sins were not sins of degradation, of, of these lusts for women. It wasn't even personal hatred. You know, of like, like these are all the vices of Yehuda. My. If you go back through look at Yehuda's history, um, you know, but it, 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 it's this idea that is because of his purity, right, that made it impossible for him to govern. Right. You know, you look at another entrance of, of Saul being like Yosef. Uh, you kind of look at his background. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And right after the whole tribe of Benjamin is, is nearly wiped out, you know, they're, they're completely wiped out. There's arrangement made where the the there's women who from other tribes who they come and they marry off and it's just really interesting because Saul he's described by Chazal as someone who's shy and yet he's super super courageous and he ends up running away is like and and his wife actually chases chases him 
And so you have this little uh, slight illusion, even though it's not necessarily in a bad sense, but you have this slight illusion to Yosef, the Yosef story, where Yosef runs from Potiphar's wife. Right. Even though, you know, it's not, you know, I'm not saying Saul's wife was evil, but there is a slight illusion to him being like Yosef. And so just a little uh, more foundation of him being like the Mashiach and Yosef figure. Well, that would make sense from the precedented uh, type and shadow between Benjamin and Yosef, because they are likened to two halves of one soul, as brought down by the Hasidic insights. And uh, the Parsha, I believe it's Parsha Vayigash, Parsha Miketz, around that area. And they were talking mm-hmm. about that because uh, Yosef, I mean, Benjamin is an extension of Yosef. And that's why they're both born of Raquel. They're both considered to be righteous Zadikim. So. Wow. I love that. Thank you for that support tag flying in there. <laughs> but, you know, so it, it's just interesting. The, the whole Saul's relationship with David, you know, Saul just thought, you know, he's the anointed of God. He had the simple way of, of understanding things. He was just naively committed to whatever he believed. And, you know, he, he loved David even when he was trying to kill him. You know, you look at him, he's saying, referring to him as, as my son, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know he was—he always acted just off of, of this emotion, what his heart was feeling, and but he was so obsessed with the belief that his kingdom was threatened that he felt that whatever the cost, he had to actually transfer this legacy of kingship of his in the, in an orderly fashion. And so he saw like da- David as a danger to this orderly transfer that was supposed to take place in his mind. Um, but he still he still loved him. So it's like brings down the question of why. Why was, you know, Saul, it's like he became almost just like, if you want to call that, this monster. So associated with, like, all these sins of of murder, conspiracy, plot. And why is that necessary? What is the Torah really trying to teach us through that? And I I believe it's it's hinting at uh, what Yeshua had to do at the execution stake. Really? Yes, okay. and the reason reason why, or the, the kind of methodology of how the transfer of Mashiach ben Yosef goes from Mashiach ben Yosef to Mashiach ben David, no, and it really comes back to what we said earlier, that it was Saul's blemishlessness that made him, like his purity, that made it impossible for him to govern. He couldn't, he couldn't uh, really like uh, uh, associate with you know, the, the, the faults and failings of the nations and a level to, to bring, them, bring them up and lead them. He was, in a sense, distant from them. But so I'm getting at, it was because he was without blemish, because he was pure, he was unable to govern. So what had to happen? You, you see, right before the transfer of David's kingdom, that Saul, like, he, he gets associated with all these negative characteristics, these sins, if you will. And then comes David's kingdom. And so this is why Yeshua had to take upon our sin. Another aspect of why he had to take upon our sin was because in order for him to reign, he had to be associated with, with uh, the, the hardship, the sin of, of the people. Well, that would make sense with the whole overlay of the Kohen. He has to take part in the Corbinot, like the uh, the center 
they have he has to take part of the sinner's sin in order to offer the true Corbin. That's why he has to eat the sacrifices. So exactly. that extends over to the king because he has to be able to identify with his people because in order for you to actually have a king, the people have to appoint you. They have to literally accept you as king. You can't just go, well, I'm king over you, so listen to me. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's this whole process being taken taking place. Well, I definitely would tell you that, you know, I would imagine people are more likely to embrace a king who can identify with them versus somebody who's just way above them and they can't touch them. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, yeah. I think it's very beautiful that Hashem did that. You know, he himself came down, you know, and then walked among us, you know, through his word, through Mashiach, through his spirit, through the Torah, you know, constantly being around us and with us so that we could actually identify with him as well as him identify with us. So hence why Hashem is really the king of all kings. Amen. Okay, so excellent point. And going into, uh, like I said, this is uh, a special special reading because it's Erev Rosh Chodesh, this Shabbat. Wow. And so it mentions like this, this whole idea. So we're coming from uh, Shmuel 1, 20, 18 through 42. And it mentions these links. Before we get more into the Hathor, let's just talk about these links between Rosh Chodesh, since this is a special reading. Um but if you, if you look at the half towards apparent that in the time of the Jewish kings, Rosh Chodesh was celebrated as a joyous festival, royal festival. Um, there's a banquet actually held in its honor. And so this is the, the two days of that uh, Saul had this feast and David's not there. He asked him. And so uh, this, is, this is like the test that shows that uh, Saul is angry with David. Wow. And... Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, I'll just I'll just read this section here from the midrash. It says according to Targum Yotan, the second day on which Saul inquired after David was the second day of Rosh Chodesh, in accordance with the oral tradition handed down from Moshe in a case where the witnesses did not arrive on the first day of Rosh Chodesh to testify they had seen a new moon. The next day automatically became Rosh Chodesh. Melchevet um, Hamishnah cites the interesting midrash that David's kingdom is likened to the moon. Just as the moon grows for the first 15 days a month and gradually diminishes during the next 15 days, so too David's kingdom grows, grew for 15 generations from Abraham until King Shlomo. During the next 15 generations from Shlomo king, until King Sedekayahu, the last Jewish king, it declined steadily. Mm. So, which is interesting here because it mentions... David's kingdom in the Midrash, but it starts with Abraham. And so, you know, you think about what Yeshua would have been meaning when he says, before Abraham, I I am. Right. Right. And so this is David's kingdom. Even though Abraham came before David, this is considered the line of David's kingdom. Well, that would make sense because that's where the kingship came from. It came from Melchizedek. And so it was branched off through uh, Yaakov, 
or uh, Yisrael, and uh, obviously it comes back together in Mashiach, but, you know, that's that's a really beautiful point to bring down that it starts with Abraham. <laughs> yeah, um, also mentions that David, uh, this is this is a time where he was told about this tragic news that, like, Saul really did want to kill him. You look at this whole message later, and uh, after it goes, how you know, um, Yonatan showed him these messages that proved that David really was after him. Uh, so, you know, it, it was tragic, but it was also this message of, of hope that it happened on Rosh Chodesh, because David went into hiding on Rosh Chodesh, the significance of the date planted in David, this, this seed of hope, right? Because it hinted that at a future blossoming of his kingdom after a period of dormancy, just like the moon renews itself, right? How about that? So, even though he he looked like he was hidden right now, it looked like there is there's maybe just a tiny sliver, right? The tiny sliver of the moon, the tiny sliver of hope that his kingdom would would later expand, but it's dormant at this time. And so you you look at you know what's happening in history since uh, Yeshua, since his his ascent, if you will. Right. You know his his kingdom is is dormant right now. But it's waiting on return, and and so this is another aspect of of the moon. Mm-hmm. It's it's waiting for the kingdom of David to be fulfilled, uh, which is also interesting because we, um, you see that um, it says I'll, I'll read this section here. The only connection. Uh, Talk about the two words of Machar Chodesh, tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh, in verse 5. Rav Shimon Shwab actually reveals this deep connection to Rosh Chodesh in the Perak and to verse 27, where Saul asks, Why has Ben Yishai, referring to David, not come to attend my meal? And so he refers to him as Ben Yishai because this is what his two evil counselors had referred to David as because they couldn't even say his name. They loathed him and were jealous of him so much. That they referred to him just as the son of Yishai. Wow. And so uh, it says, Why has Ben Yishai referring to David not come to attend my meal? The answer is that David was hiding from Shaul's beatrice hatred of him, which was sent on by this, this evil spirit. So e- each Musa, Musaf prayer on Rosh Chodesh, we speak of the Beit HaMikdash offsprings and pray for the Beit HaMikdash to be returned to us. Therefore, says Rav Shwav, this parak was chosen to be the Machir Chodesh of Half Torah, for it reminds us that we still do not have the Beit Mikdash today because of Beit's hatred. So the, the Tanya asks, how is, it, how is it possible for us to genuinely love every Jew? He explains that if we prioritize our physicality over spirituality, indeed is impossible. But if we're able to dig beyond the surface and are able to nullify our sense of physical self and focus on the unifying soul that is called Israel, then one can love every Jew, as we have, we are the same entity, just divided into different bodies. And so, uh, little son, you know, uh, it mentions this whole Musaf prayer um, during Rosh Chodesh. Um, you actually add a fourth prayer, and so the, the three three prayers you add a prayer after Shachrit. Mm-hmm. And in this, we actually mention the Beha Mikdash. And so it's interesting to note that, you know, we pray for the destruction of the rebuilding of the temple that happened because of baseless hatred. And what happens here, you have Saul's baseless hatred to David. Wow. 
And so literally the idea of Musaf is the idea of building this up. Um, but it also, it also says, you know, it's really impossible for us to, to end this baseless hatred and go into baseless love, as, as you have eloquently put it in the past, um, if we're so focused on the physicality. We look at Saul's life, and literally you can, you can understand even rationally why he did what he did. He literally lost everything. This man literally just came out of, you look at it at his past, his whole tribe nearly being wiped out by every other tribe of Israel. Um, he literally built the nation from the ground up, and, you know, like this, this spirit leaves him. Um, and you can also maybe kind of hint at maybe he was, maybe he wanted to keep his king, kingship so that he could redeem his sin of disobeying Hashem with, as far as Amalek and waiting for Shmuel when he was about to attack the Philistine army, you know? Um, but it's just interesting because you have, literally you read through the, the precursors to this half Torah and all the, the previous chapters, and you see uh, his son, you know, this is, this is the, the new king David coming up, and Saul knows it. He, he, he doesn't really know because it's not been told to him, but he believes that he is. He sees all the hints. It's all foreshadowed. So here he is. He, now he's losing. He's lost the spirit of God that's been placed on him to David. He's, he's losing his kingship, right? And he knows it. He feels it. He sees his, his son favoring David. Um, later when he tries to kill uh, David, um, Michael, uh, Michael, you know, the, his, his daughter, who is yeah. David's wife. Yeah. I'm sorry? I was saying yes, yeah. that's his wife. Yes. And then what she does, she helps him escape. And so literally like Saul's losing his whole family too, not just his kingship. You know, he didn't come out just of nearly losing his whole tribe, uh, his spirit of kingship, his kingship, but his whole family. And, and so he's really attached to like this, this physicality that he's losing. And so you understand why it's so difficult for him to overcome this, this evil spirit. That's, that causes this baseless hatred that causes him to pursue David. Um, whereas Yochanan, on the other hand, who is in a sense an extension of Saul and very like him in, in so many aspects, uh, he focused on the whole spirituality of, of this whole idea. He sees David as this great hero of Israel, uh, one who's fitting to be king, and he, he sees the similarities between him and David. A lot, you know this whole this whole royal line, this this great hero who's who's not gonna let anything stand his way because Yochanan also, you know, had it was him and his armor bearer who took on a whole Philistine army. That's right. Of I think it's like over ten thousand men, and they won. You know, and they won. You know, Hashem did a miracle for him, and so he recognizes this. And you, I kind of had this idea that you know Yochanan. Maybe our Yonatan wanted to challenge Goliath, but Saul was probably like, no. Right. You know, it's a possibility. You know, I'm not sure if it's written explicitly anywhere, but, you know, he had so much similarities with David. And he was focused on the spiritual aspect, the thing that bonded them at their core, that they, they were both uh, striving for Kadush Hashem, for the sanctification of God's name. Amen. So, um,. Before we move on from this whole idea of, of losing, this whole idea of, of division, right? You know, Mashiach says something that's uh, extremely interesting. He says, 
about uh, I, I've not come to bring peace but a sword oh yeah <laughs> right wow. and so this is this is something that we're almost like oh wow that's uh, what, what is he talking about here yeah and and you really if you just read through the the, the Tanakh portion Mm-hmm. Like you, you see what happened because that's what David did. Like when at at the beginning of his reign, that's what David did. Because what happened as soon as David got into the picture? Yeah, you know, war. It, uh, yeah, Saul lost his 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 spirit, the spirit of of kingship, because David was anointed. He lost his son. Um, he lost like his his daughter's love comparatively, right? Wow. And. And so, what is he hinting at? He's hinting at that he is at the beginning of his reign at that time. Like, it's not time for him to bring shalom yet. It doesn't say he didn't come. It doesn't say that he won't, you know? But it's that it's not that time. And he's hinting at his messiahship as well. You know, that's um, beautiful because, you know, literally you have the idea of Melech David right here in that same verse about Cain to bring a sword. You know, he says, don't think that I've come to bring Shalom, as in Shalomo. Shalomo oh, comes after. Love it, man. I love that. So <laughs> That's beautiful. There's that. You know, it, it's, it's interesting well because, you know, it says, uh, well, then we'll we'll tag on that in a second, but just on this whole idea of of division, right? The and this whole like division leading into kingship, uh, the Midrash Rabbah and Brashit, it mentions this incredible insight about division, and it's talking about like the, the the whole second day, and it's going to dialogue about why it wasn't called good, and uh, essentially, the, this whole idea of the, the dual nature of division itself, that it's good and bad, mentions that uh, and the Talmud, the, oh, hold on. That's not where I want to start off. Yeah, so uh, says division can also be a positive force in the world. In the Talmud, the sages described the Levitic practice in the temple of chanting a psalm corresponding to the day of week. For the second day of week, the song of the day was Telim 48, which began, begins, Great is Hashem and much praise. This psalm explains the Talmud and Rosh Hashanah 31a that commemorates the fact that on the second day of creation, God divided his works and reigned over them. Until the second day, uh, complete unity prevailed with only one day of existence the very concept of duality had not come into being. Only on the second day did God introduce, by the very creation of a second unit of time, the idea of multiplicity in the world. From that day on, God divided his works into numerous elements, each one serving its own specialized purpose. At that same time, God reigned over them. Precisely because of the world's newly fragmented nature, God took up his position as king, for the role of king is to unite the separate elements of the kingdom, in God's case, to channel the efforts of countless individuals and entities into a single-minded campaign to bring the world into its goal. Wow. And, you know, it, um, it's just this, this idea 
that before kingship comes the world, you have uh, you have this division. It goes on to say at the last point that division is is a double edged sword. It can bear and you can bear it out uh, King David's judgment that great is Hashem in the way he divided his works and reigned over them. Or it could be the bane of human life and the world's progress towards goal. The challenge we face is to embrace one type of division while shunning the other. With tragic consequences, Cork failed his encounter with his challenge, but his repentant sons determined to correct his mistake. It was they, after all, who composed Psalm 48, sung by the Levites on the second day of the week, a song, a song by the sons of Korok. Great is Hashem and much praise. Wow. And so it's, it's this whole idea of uh, division begets kingship, but division has to come before there is this idea of kingship, something to rule over. Mm. And this is why he came to bring a sword. And it mentions we have to, you know, shun one side of division and embrace the other. And I have you, this is probably the, what, what Yeshua was really talking about of, of bringing the kingdom of God. It was, it was, it was nullifying, dividing out your, your own ego. Right. You know, we talked about loving your enemies. If someone, you know, hits you across the face, turn him to the other cheek. If someone asks you, forces you to go to a mile with him, walk another mile with him. It's not about you. That's, that's what he's talking about. You know, just what we led into with Yehoshua, that since this is like the kind of week of him taking down Jericho, these strong walls, right? Like these strong walls of, of, of pride that distance us from Hashem. It's, it's literally about like using this Gavora, losing this inner strength to break down these walls. Like this is what we have to divide out from our lives. And we have to hold on to the spiritual because it's only then that we can come out of this baselet hatred and start being united. Wow. We have to first rightly divide, you know, yep. the, the wheat from the tares, if you will. That's true. All right. Well, you know, it's interesting because the context of that verse is in uh, Matit Yahoo chapter 10, 34. But when you look at what's on either side of it, he's talking about who is in denial of him and before uh, not only within ourselves, but before the world in general, as well as saying, you know, your own household, because the next verse so that's the previous verse about the denial. The next verse after the sword is saying that turning the heart of the the man against his father, daughter against mother. And, you know, that ties back to Malki chapter four uh, verses five and six, where it says, behold, I will send you Eliyahu, the prophet. You know, before the great and dreadful day of Adonai, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. And, you know, there this division that, that leads to kingship, you know, it starts with Mashiach ben Yosef, transitions through Eliyahu Hanavi, and then ultimately culminates with Mashiach ben David. So yes. like, there's this beautiful, what was divided up, and Bezrat Hashem, we go with the right side of that division. Eliyahu comes and begins to bring it all back together beautifully, you know, so. Man, I love that. So, incredible, man. Ruk Hashem. So, let's, uh, let's go into the, back to a, kind of a point and elucidate that since you, you, you brought up this excellent point of 
uh, this talking about uh, Yeshua says like your your love for your your father and mother has father and mother has to be like hatred compared to love for me, right? That's right. And this is what's going on in this this half tour. It's interesting because here you have uh, Yonatan, and what is what is he literally has to choose in a sense, right? Between <laughs> his father and and David. Mm. Uh, we mentioned that that. Saul's jealousy, like this whole, every every issue was brought about by by Dorg and uh, Achtophel, which is Saul's, his ministers, these jealous, jealous people. Yikes. So they were in the habit of continuously referring to David as Ben Yeshai, the son of Yeshai, as though they could not mention even his name. Now Saul imitated, uh, imitated the derogatory style of language, which is why he called him Ben Yeshai instead of David. Wow. Uh, it's kind of interesting in our day. That Yeshua is going through the same persecution by uh, non-believers and Yeshua, or by Christians, you know, yeah, people yeah, who say they believe in him. You have people call him uh, uh, Yeshua, which one interpretation is that's an acronym for his, may his name be blotted out. Some people call him J JC, uh, you know, this and that, yeah. or you know, Christians call him Jesus instead of Yeshua. Yeah. And even if they do call him Yeshua, they associate him, they strip his identity away from him, yeah. like. Uh, and so there's a problem that people have with, with saying his full name. You know, it's interesting that if Saul would have just said, it's, this kind of an interesting fact that uh, if Saul would have said David ben Yishai, you know, that's David ben Yishai is the Gamache of 386. Oh, which is the same Gamache as Yeshua. That's right. And so you could literally see, like, this is an allusion to when he saw, calls David not by his name, but just by ben Yishai. It's alluding to the fact that Yeshua... Uh, there's going to be people who have problem with his name, and when I mean name, I don't necessarily just mention, just mean that uh, saying Yeshua, not saying Yeshua, even though that's an aspect of it. Um, but it's the idea of accepting him. What name is in Hebrew is Shem. It's the idea of this essence, that's this right. complete essence of a person. Come on. Um, we don't have time to get into all on that, but essentially, just think of the essence of the person. And so <laughs> this is what people are struggling with today. And this is uh, one of the reasons why, like, one of the missions of Lapid, if you will. That's right. We've got to clear the name up. So, going, going on from there, because I want to uh, touch on what you said earlier about this love, love and hatred. Uh, Yonatan replied, David asked me for permission to join. Oh, let's just make this a story time. How about that? Story time. Come on. Yonatan replied. David asked me for permission to join his brothers in Beit Lechem for an annual family service, sacrifice. Have received an invitation from his oldest brother. He informed me that he will be absent for only a short period. I consented and freed him on the obligation of attending the royal Rosh Chodesh banquet. Saul flared up in anger at Yonatan, shouting, You son of a brazen mother! Your mother lacks a newt, for she ran after me when we chose wives from the daughters of Benjamin. You take after her and can use a good shaking yourself. Ooh. How can you side with Ben Yeshai, who is my enemy? People will say to the disgrace of yourself and your mother that you are not really my son. Don't you know that as long as this Ben Yeshai is alive, you and your kingdom will not be established? Do not imagine that he will rule only over the tribe of Yehuda while you rule over the other tribes. He will rule over the whole nation. Since you permitted him to leave, it is your job to bring him back. He is a traitor to the king. He must die. Yonatan wow. felt that it was his duty to reprimand his father, who was pronouncing capital punishment upon an innocent man. Is it his fault that Hashem has appointed him king? Yonatan reproved his father. What wrong has David done? 
Saul lifted his spear ready to strike his own son. At that instant, Yonatan realized that he had erred in justifying Saul's harassment of David as a mere expression of temporary violence occasioned by his depression, depressed mental state. His father hated David with passion. There is no rational explanation for his enmity. Under these con- uh, circumstances, he could not be trusted to adhere to his oath, his previous oath to not kill David. Well then. The end. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> uh, you can just kind of imagine what Jonathan's going through because he greatly admired his dad. Yeah. And and to see to see your hero fail, someone you respire, look up to and respect and you admire a great deal, to see them fail, to see them in such hard place where they act uncharacteristically of himself, it like you imagine how wounded he is at this point. Uh, just to kind of like make the Bible like real, like if you've ever been in that moment, like this is what Jonathan's feeling among many things. But from here, we learn uh, we learn that that one must uh, try to set another person right, even if he risks being insulted and cursed, just like Jonathan was. Wow. For Jonathan endured his father's anger and insulted uh, for the sake of reproving him. So, out of his great love, this is an interesting point, out of his great love for David, Jonathan willingly suffered the agony of seeing his own father raise a spear against him. Hmm. And so the royal table was laden with a sumptuous meal in honor of Rosh Kodesh, but Jonathan could not even take a bite. Deeply angered, deeply angered, he left the blanket banquet, fearing for David's life. First, he feared for David's life, and then, like only second to that, was his humiliation from his father's insults and the rash action with, with his spear. Wow. And so, back in um, Samuel 18.1, I think there's also another part of this, this half Torah, but you see that um, David actually gets a hay added to his name. Really? Yes. Uh, maybe it, it wasn't 20. Okay, so you're saying 18-1 for Shemuel. Okay, so 18-1 uh, doesn't. Oh, no, it's it's 19-1, I'm sorry. 19-1. Um, but you have... Um, Yotanan, it says, uh, Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants about killing David, but Yochanan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And so, um, you have the second instance of, the first instance of Yonatan, it's spelled without a hey, but then you have where it says, um, et David the Yonatan bin Shul chefetz ba David moed, where it's talking about, but Yochanan's, Saul's sons, delighted Jonathan, Saul's son delighted much in David. There's a hate added to his name. Wow. A hate and, added to Yohanaton. Yes, and it's it's because uh, this is literally after Saul became boisterous about killing David. He no longer had these ploys. He verbally told his servants to, to kill him, to assassinate David. Um, but, you know, the... the the verse makes it clear that despite Saul's coaxing, Yochanan's love for David remained steadfast. It even grew in its magnitude as a result of his father's unjust attacks. 
So even as his father was was being more violent to David, you had this this other relationship taking place where Yochanan is loving him and and being a dear friend of him even more. And Mamlo's quotes on uh, comments on this extra hay, he says that the hay is one of the letters from God's holy name. Scripture inserted it into Yochanan's name as a sign of the great spiritual advancement he achieved as a result of his resolute love for David and in reward for his saving David from his father's hands. Wow. And so it's kind of interesting because you, you have a reference to a verse that I'll give you a name better than sons and daughters. Right. Was Yochanan. He was, he was a daughter of the king. He was a, it's a sick, not a daughter. Uh, he, was, he was a son of the king. <laughs> That'd be awesome. He was Ben Shul. Uh, ben Shul, right? He was the and son because of a his... blameless, spotless king, as you brought yes, up earlier. Yes, yes. It was because his, his, he had this promotion, if you will, because of his love for Mashiach. And, you know, also, um, you have this, this hate added to his name. Wow. Right? Right. And just like, just like Abraham and Sarah. Yep. And you, you look at what, what the dialogue between Yeshua and some of, some of the uh, self-righteous uh, leadership, Sadducees and Pharisees, you know, um, who it was the case. Not to say they weren't all bad, you know, just getting that disclaimer out there. It was just some were corrupt, right? That's right. Um, and, you know, there's this dialogue that they're so proud of being the sons of Abraham, right? Man. But you have Yochanan, uh, the immerser, who says, you know, calls them the, the seed of, like, serpents and the son of the devil and all these things, which is, you know, almost, it's also Talmudic uh, dictum that's taking place there. That's, that's actually... Uh, how they'd speak to someone who was like against them or opposed their views, like the son of Satan. Wow. Um, just a little side note. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, Yeshua also says, hey, I could, I could raise, you know, out of these stones. He sure did. Yes. And so what is alluding here? You could either be uh, Yochanan, the, the son of the one who has this evil spirit, or you could be the Yonatan who is because of his great love for David, his great love for the Mashiach, that he's elevated, and he's so attached to uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the original Avot and Imo, the, the original uh, father and, and uh, patriarch and matriarch of, of Israel, that like, he's so attached to them that he goes through the similar process that they did with adding an extra hay of Hashem's name into his name. Wow. You know, we have uh, the same choice, so... Yes, we do. Amazing point. You know, uh, but touching on this fact that Yeshua mentions all all this idea about, uh, in, in Luke 14, 26 explicitly, if one comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, the children and brothers... And children and brothers and sisters, he cannot be his disciple. Wow. Um, and so it's just it's just interesting that uh, I'm trying to find this um, side this idea real quick. But it, like this whole idea, if you actually look in, in the the Hebrew. Um, it like uh, it says that that this actually doesn't sound so inhuman 
in Hebrew as like these, these verbs, hate and love, can be juxtaposed to, to suggest preference. Okay. Right? So it's not like you're actually hating your brother, father, or mother because that's completely anti-Torah. Um, <laughs> but it's the idea that comparatively, comparatively must be like it. Right. And this is what happens here. And so you, like I'm, I'm just setting up, referencing back to what Yeshua says, so you have preference, understand that not only about it being a, a Jewish context, but that he is a legitimate um, Mashiach figure who spoke pro, pro-Torah and things that literally came out straight from, these ideas coming straight from Scripture. And in our case, this half-Torah portion. Get you some. That's a beautiful connection. Bukashem. Uh, let's see. Let's go. Um, to uh, this idea where uh, David and Yonatan Yochanan make a treaty. Okay. And so I will, uh, I guess we can go in a little story time. Story time. Come on. When, when David and Yonatan were alone in the field, Yonatan pledged, I swear I'll find out what is in my father's mind. In either case, I will send you a message tomorrow or the day after. And as side note, um, this should be noted. This is before the instant we read where Saul acts out of rage. Right? This is the test, what went on behind that scene. Leave in peace, and may Hashem be with you as he was with my father. I know that Hashem will punish your enemies, for he sympathizes with the persecuted Sadiq. And he will destroy the members of my father's family who pursued you. When you become king, please spare my descendants and be kind to them. There had previously been a pact of friendship between David and Yonatan. Now they had made a new treaty, which also included mutual kindness to each other's descendants. Yonatan continued to urge David to keep the treaty, not because he was afraid that David would violate it, but, and here's what I want to highlight, because he loved David so intensely that he enjoyed repeating, he enjoyed repeating, he enjoyed repeating the fact that David would one day be king. Mm. And so I, I, you know, repeated that not only for the sake of the pun, um, <laughs> but but also because uh, we actually have these prayers that we repeat over and over again, um, right? Whether, whether it's Shimon Ezra, whether it's the Elena, whether it's the Ashrei, uh, whether it's the Shema, you know, and it and we should look at it like Yonatan. That's not just oh well. I'm just saying this because I want. I'm keep on saying it so that uh, Hashem will get me what I want, or I'm afraid that He won't. So I'm constantly reminding Him. You know, like it's it's mentioned in the letters that do not be as the Gentiles who are rambling on and on and on. That's right. We right. But here you. But you know the just the support for our Sador, That's not in that case because a Sador isn't the point of rambling on and on, repeating words and prayers that we've already said. It's the idea of. Um, of, of repeating like like Yonatan repeated it because he enjoyed so intensely this this idea that David would, would not one day be king like we say at the end of the Elenu Ushimo Echad right his name will be one quoting from Zechariah and also we've we've mentioned this before is, um, that the each each of these three prayers compared to um, the three avot uh, and you know it's just it's it's interesting um, that you know you have these different 
these different aspects, right, um, to these three prayers as well. Um, but what's interesting is it mentions that they met in a field, which uh, was a common place for them to, uh, at the time, to meet and discuss pri- these these secret ideas. Uh, but interestingly, uh, we we just mentioned like repeating the Shemoni Ezra. We mean that that each each prayer links to one of the patriarchs, and uh, we have each patriarch referred to the house of Hashem, where his presence would reside, right by a different name. Avraham referred to it as a mountain, right, the house of God. And all the way to Yaakov, who refers it to as a house, right? Yeah. Talking about the side of the temple. And but Yitzhak. Yitzhak did what? He referred to it as a field. As a field. And so what's, what's the illusion here? Them meeting at the, at the field. Uh, Yitzhak is the transcending period between uh, Avraham, who was constantly all over the place, traveling right mm-hmm. um who referred to god as like this it's like this lofty mountain no, no one like the, the the place of the temple is like this lofty mountain like almost that Hashem is just a little less approachable than he would be to a house which is where yaakov does so yaakov built the house which would make it's like the the god's Hashem, you know he's he's more approachable but the link between them to this idea of abraham who's wondering to yaakov you know israel who literally laid the foundation and laid the permanency of of this like the site the site of the temple was Yitzhak. He was a transition period. That's right. And so literally, you have them meeting at the pier. You you have uh, Yonatan, who is a Benjamin, a descendant of Rech, uh, Rachel, right? This is Mashiach ben Yosef, right? Because you know this is uh, Benjamin, like you said earlier, Benjamin and Yosef are linked up. Yeah. And then you have David, who's of Yehuda. This is Mashiach ben David. Mm-hmm. And so they're meeting at the field. What is the transference? What, what transfers from the kingship of Yosef to the kingship of Mashiach ben David? And it's at the field. It's, it's the, the patriarch who represents none other than the sacrificial son. This is what transfers the kingship from Mashiach ben Yosef to Mashiach ben David. The Akida. The Akida, yes. And the Midrash actually quotes, and I, I believe it's the, uh, so Sino so Midrash that actually says, like, as one carrying, Yitzhak carried his, the wood as one carries his cross or execution stake. That is correct. That is Bereshit Rabbah. Mm-hmm. And so you look at, um, Yeshua coming here as Mashiach ben Yosef, who suffered on our accounts. Then there's this transference between, <coughs> excuse me, his role as Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David in the tra- tra- like the transfer period is where, which is like this parsha, Yonatan meets David right in the field at the sacrificial sun. Once he's on the execution stake, there's this transference of his kingship. Maybe another allusion to when he says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Right? What happened to Saul? I imagine Saul, you know, that, that prayer is attributed to, uh, it's in Telim 22, it's pr- attributed to Esther. But I imagine Saul also said these words when he lost his spirit hmm. of kingship. 
Why? Because there's a new, like the spirit was transferred into like this whole Mashiach bin David. Right? Yep. And so you have this allusion to this whole transference of the, the kingship. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Because uh, there has to be this, this parting of the kingship of Yosef and this reigning of the kingship of Mashiach bin David so that he's no longer, you know, it's no longer about this division. It's about like when he comes back, it's going to be bringing shalom. Amen. Maybe soon in our days. Man, how are we on, on time since there are lightning round? We are down to seven minutes and 24 seconds. Baruch Hashem. Um, okay. Uh, let's see if there's any uh, high points uh, from this. Uh, so, uh, there's the mention of he shoots these arrows and, um, it says, why did he choose a particular sign, uh, to reflect the cause of David's predicament? Lashon Hara is compared to an arrow. In oh. fact, a threefold arrow, since it harms and may even kill all three people. And, it, you know, wow. I mean, this is the whole idea of the arrow being cast out. And so involved, so the, the three people killed in the Shan of Ra are the slanderer whom the victim attacked in revenge, the listener who becomes embroiled in the strife, and the victim who may so be injured by the damaging words that he may lose his parnassah, reputation, even his life. And so Yonatan's sign implied, my father is persecuting you because of evil slanderers constantly incite him against you. We will soon, soon see clearly how far the arrows of the Shan of Ra have poisoned his heart. Wow. And this is when he gets up into... Um, uh, Saul threatening uh, Yonatan and David. Wow. Um, also, another aspect to the field, why did he not speak David immediately acting out of the charade with arrows and arrows instead? Perhaps it was because there are people in the field, or another opinion is it was not appropriate to tell bad news directly, because like, it's a principle. Okay. Um, he, he spells out evil tidings as a fool. Uh, Yonatan preferred to hint at the bad report rather than to, than to necessarily articulate it. There's a certain way of going about things. Wow. Um, mentions that when he re relayed the incident to him after his father, you know, just went crazy. Um, Yonatan did not repeat to David the ugly things that Shaw had, had said and done. Mm -hmm. He did not want to speak with Shonara about his father, nor to rebel against the king's authority. Oh, man. Um, and so David and Yonatan, they, they, they kissed each other, they embraced each other, they shed tears, for they found it difficult to part. David wept more than Yonatan. Perhaps he felt at his Ruach Akodesh that Yonatan would die prematurely. Yonatan, too, possibly had a sense of foreboding in regard to his future and why he was uttered the wish, go towards peace. Yonatan added, remember the oath which we both swore, to which Hashem is the witness. It shall exist between us and our descendants forever. Wow. And so, you know, and, and, and Yonatan d does end up dying with Shul. Um, and it should be kind of noted going on our whole Meshach and Yosef, Meshach and David, that aspect that, um, like, they, they died, their death allowed for the reigning of David. Right. So just to further support, this is about the transference of the kingdom of Meshach and Yosef to Meshach and David. And illusion how it all takes place is through the death of the initial king, the firstborn king, right? Which is Mashiach ben Yosef. Yeah. Um, interesting thing about Yonatan, let's just kind of highlight him since we've been talking mostly about uh, David and Saul. We talked about their personalities a little bit, but 
Yonatan, like, he's uh, this incredibly noble character. Like, his courage never wavered. This is why he's so close to David and kinship. Um, but even though he knew his friend was his rival, like, Yonatan magnanimously saved David from persecuted, persecution by his father at the cost of his throne, his throne, that he, he should have gotten, right? Yep. Uh, so, you know, you have... Uh, and certain anti-missionaries, people who speak out against Yeshua, one thing they speak out, speak out against is his saying, love your enemy. Well, but then why are we praising, if that's such a bad concept, why are we praising Yonatan? Mm. You know, how about that? Because mm. Yonatan, literally, who was Yonatan's enemy? If you really think about it, it was David. He, he because David, right, represented the one who was going to take his, his throne, his position, his authority, his power, his influence. All of that was gone with David. But still, Yonatan supported him, saved his life, even when he had the opportunity to uh, to uh, kill David in good conscience because that was the king's orders. Wow! Right? But like, literally, he's he he was a hero who deserves like this this highest. He, he had the highest qualities. Uh, this achievement that was that was just incredible of any human being. And so, Chazal actually mentioned that three people renounced their share in this world and received it in the said Ram Haba. And one of them was Yonatan. Well. <laughs> so. There you go. You know. <laughs> he, you know. Wow. The last will be first and the first should be last. That's right. <laughs> you know, just what, what, is, what is Yeshua hinting at when he's saying that? You know? Don't, don't be like people who are trying to steam themselves over each other. Oh, who's great in the kingdom of heaven? You know? No, let's be like Yonatan. How did he get Alam Haba? He rejected his portion of this world. Right? What must I do to inherit an, uh, an eternal life? Sell all your belongings, give it to the poor. Forsake your, yourself. Nullify yourself. Forget about what you have, what states you have in this world, and, and, and soar your treasures in heaven, just like Yonatan did. Wow. Well, that is but, a get-you-sum um, of get-you-sums right there. Fukushim. If you got anything to say, or if we're going to go into practical takeaways, um, we could do that. Well, I was just going to connect back to Parshakari Mot, since we're talking about Yonatan and Shaul, that they are codified in Midrash Rabbah, Vayikra, 2012. And it says, this is to teach us, as the Day of Atonement brings atonement, in the same way do the death of the righteous bring atonement. I love that. And where do we know this from? The death of the righteous brings atonement, like the day of atonement. So the death of the righteous, you can pretty much call it the day of Yom Kippur. Like when someone dies, that's righteous. So here's what it says. Because it is written, and they bury the bones of Shaul and Yonatan, his son. Second Shamuel 21.14 and the only other thing I was going to say was Midrash Rabbah, Bereshit 56.3 is where we find the crucifixion stake uh, with Yitzhak. It says, why did he make a point of making Yitzhak carry it? Why did Abraham make a point of uh, Bereshit 22.6? Why was it so important for Abraham to put the wood on Yitzhak? It says, this is as one who carries his stake for his own execution on his shoulder. 
So that's Midrash Shabbat Bear Cheat 56 3. Back to you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, so uh, just just a, a, a couple points. Um, one is, you know, uh, during during this time, going back to the counting the Omer, because that like you want to know how to get to the level of Yonatan. I mean, it, it takes a lot of a lot of work, a lot of self refinement. But one of the ways we do that. Um, is during the period of between Pesach and um, Shavuot, between you know freedom and receiving the Torah, mm. we go through this process of self refinement. And um, one of the ways we do that practically is by studying uh, a section of Mishnah that's devoted exclusively, like that has no like uh, Gemara in it, right? It's like the Tractate of Vot. Right. And so each each chapter, uh, you read like a chapter per Shabbat. Um, Every spot that's between, you know, Pesach and, and Shavuot. Yep. And this is literally, like, there's so much amazing, amazing insights and lessons uh, that we can derive from, from uh, Chazal. Um, interesting that uh, one of them that we'll read in the future Bezerah Hashem, I think it's in uh, chapter 5, 25, I believe, um, says, he, he used to say, a five-year-old begins scripture, right? Ten-year-old begins uh, Mishnah, 13-year-old begins um, to uh, observe the commandments. 15-year-old begins the study of Gemara. But I just want to kind of point that this first one, like a, a five-year-old begins uh, the begins scripture. And, you know, we have this allusion to uh, five, right? Like five, like the five books of Torah. Like to understand the, the Torah, to, to really understand it, we also have to begin our study of scripture. That's right. And by that, like the whole the twenty four books of the Bible, because through this we we get to understand, you know, uh, Yeshua, like Yehoshua was supposed to be the last book, right? Yeah. And David, because we had twenty four books alluding to his elevated name, right? And you can do that on a practical level. You know, it mentions uh, that if you actually break down the study of of uh, your your Tanakh, right? If you read two. Uh, two chapters a day of of your Tanakh every day, just on the weekdays, then you can actually read that whole the whole Tanakh in a year. Get you some. And that doesn't include Telim because Telim's really long. Uh, but the good news is, if on Shabbat, so you're not reading on Shabbat the the Tanakh portion. But if you read three Psalms on every Shabbat for a year, then you will uh, have read the whole Telim. So two chapters of Tanakh, read that, and three chapters of uh, Psalms on Shabbat, right, the weekday and the Shabbat, then you could have your whole Bible read. And we see why that's so important, because literally all these things that people persecute Yeshua against, it's baseless hatred and it's ignorance, because you see throughout the Tanakh, like these pictures of what Yeshua is saying, and what he's bringing out, and bringing into life, and trying to bring into our life. Wow. Right? So... Um, one study of vote two, um, like try, try to get on the schedule where we're, you know, reading, reading the Tanakh as well as the tour portion. I mean, well, and, tag real quick. Is okay. That for the, sure. The whole Tehillim, like from chapter one through 150, they are split and divided into five books. So Tehillim is equivalent to the Torah. And then... It. 
when you go through uh, the actual five books of Torah, you know, obviously those are your two Torahs right there. And then how you're talking about reading the Tanakh uh, during the week as well. So you're like fulfilling like three different types of Torahs, so to speak, because the 24 are just an expansion of the five. So you're kind of getting the whole picture throughout a whole year. So, Bruksham. Bruksham, um, I love that, man. Uh, it's just, and that, that Talim thing is, is incredible. You know, you have the five books of Talim and the five books of Torah, you know, and like the correspondence to David and Moshe. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, Mashiach, right? And Yeshua, like, reflects both of them extremely, extremely. Um, much so anyways i, I want to uh bring this little thing about uh the what the benish high uh says on this and you know going to practical takeaways about how what we can do because as, as you mentioned i think the past couple shabbats not the past few shabbats that we are responsible for bringing the redemption that's right it's in our hands and you know, this this is why Yeshua, one of the reasons why I believe he didn't just give it to us, because he wants to, uh, us to earn that merit, earn that reward. He wants us to store our treasures up in Shemaim, right? Be like Yonatan. He already, he already gave it to us before. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, amazing. So it's our turn. But, <laughs> oh, man. Yes, it's our turn. Let's let's reciprocate. That's how that's how Shem works. I'm I'm give. I'm wait for you to give because we're partners in this creation of the world. We're partners in the in the Takun HaOlam, the repair of the world. Amen. That's how Shem works. That's how he works. Amen. Right? Uh, but on, on uh, chapter 20, verse 41, says, The lad came, and David arose from the south, and he fell on his face to the ground and prostrated himself three times, and they kissed one another, and they cried with each other until David exceeded. Right? And the pursuit could also be understood as a rez, is what the Chai comments, as a remez, and as pointed above, the gematria of uh, of the Na'ar, the lad, is 320 for the above sparks, and some of this might be a little bit uh, deep and esoteric, um, but we're kind of going to breeze through it, just kind of let it meditate on your neshama, and then we'll talk about practical points. Um, 300, the gematria of Na'ar is 320 for the above sparks that require takun, and ba came means that they received their takun and were separated from the kalpot, the evil forces that were attached to them. The word Hanegev from the phrase Vadevit Ham Ma'esel Hanegev has the same letters as Ha'ganav the thief, and means that the Klipot would no longer be able to hold and feed off David. Another explanation for Vadevit Ham is that the status of David became elevated above that of Hanegev as a remez to the rabbis, since they are related to the, to the south, that we are told in Meshkev Baba Bacha 25b that anyone who seeks wisdom should face south. And so it's mentioned this whole idea of holding David and the forces of Klippot and redeeming him out of that. Like we mentioned, um, Yeshua is at the, the, we know it's Yeshua, but the quotes that he's at the gates of Rome, right? That's right. And the forces of the klipot, which is these these forces that <clears throat> hold hold on to you and prevent you prevent from this revelation of Hashem and coming closer. <coughs> right, he he goes on to say, it's important that we do all things that will help King David, since he is the Mashiach who will come and redeem us. 
may be his wish to be speedily in our time. Amen. The first thing is we have to be careful about is the attribute of modesty because a rabbi's blessed memory told us in Maskevet Sanhedrin 98a that Ben David, the Mashiach, will not come until all the haughty individuals have departed. And the Ramez Veapol Fav Artsa, right, from our, our verse means that a person should consider himself as lowly to the ground where others trample. Wow. Right, and this is where it's, he's quoting the part where David's uh, bowing. But it's kind of interesting, you know, because Yeshua says in, in Matthew 5, you're the salt of this world. Right, was in one aspect, he's. It says, you know, one should consider him as lowly as the ground where others trample, right? right? And Yeshua says, literally, you're going to be like in the salt of the earth. If it loses its saltiness, right, it's to be trampled upon. So one aspect of what he could be saying is the whole, like, consider yourself lowly, be zanut, be modest. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the other aspect of bringing the Mashiach and hasten his return is by saying the prayer Shakrit Nika Arvit, it's Mariv, with proper Kavanot, so that he'll be able to release um, all these all these hidden sparks. So by saying your prayers, you're actually able to release these these sparks, this potential for people to draw close to know Hashem and know the Mashiach. Right? That's right. Um, a person also has to be careful to love others and be united with them as a reference to this is um, the, like the part where... Uh, David is and Yonatan kiss. So we shouldn't view it in our, our common day and age because people take this verse and manipulate it in very disgusting, perverse ways. But the, the Torah is there to show us something. The culture is completely different that's right. from what it is now. <laughs> <coughs> but that, that's what the kissing signifies, this love and unity between brothers. Even at the expense of if your brother's success is going to bring about your failure or what seems to be your failure. Um, also, a person has to increase his crime when praying since we are told in Yermahu 31.8, with weeping they will come and with supplication I will lead them. In addition, there we are told by a rabbi's blessed memory in Maskevet Brachot 32b that all the gates of heaven have been closed except for the gates of weeping and the remez in the pasuk is... Uh, they cried with each other. We have to uphold that all these good attributes until Ad David Hirdil to mean that David gets elevated to the point that it would be Etratzon, time of heavenly mercy from above and bring the Redeemer. May it be his wish to be speedily in our times. Amen. Amen. And so these are different ways that we could bring Mashiach. Uh, so be uh, very mindful of. Um, you know, your modesty, internal as well as external, you know, um, like we should be fully, fully clothed. There shouldn't be any like immodest pictures of us on, on Facebook, you know, where we're not, you know, dressed or halfway dressed or whatever, showing really too much, you know, also in our, our daily lives, you know, how we talk, how we think. Um, be very mindful of these three pairs you're saying and do it with as much covenant as you could uh, hold on to. Love, love others like Yonatan. Take inspiration from his life and the words of Mashiach to love others and be in unity despite that it may be, quote-unquote, bad for you in your eyes. Amen. Um, and, you know, whenever you're in a moment of extreme trouble and, and, and pain and sorrow or trial, like, 
don't don't waste your tears. Mm. Right? If you're going to cry, like add in the prayer for the coming of Mashiach, add in the prayer for rebuilding of the temple. Right? Because if you think if you think you're suffering with whatever it is, and there's people who go through a lot, and I'm not trying to downplay that, um, but whatever it is, like our suffering, no matter how extreme it is, doesn't compare to Mashiach's suffering at the gates of Rome. It doesn't compare what, to what he went through. Because not only did he die a physical death, there is the weight of the entire world, the entire existence, sin upon him. You can imagine what that would have felt like, like with no idea. That's a whole other aspect to his suffering. Uh, and so added a prayer that, that Mashiach would come, added a prayer that the temple should be built, added a prayer that uh, people would come in the faith to know Hashem. Beautiful. Well, tell that so, Rabbi for these are the practical, practical points. tips for us. Bring Mashiach. Amen. Let's do it. Well, uh, that Amen. is it for our time today. So, Toda uh, Rabbah for just letting it all fly and uh, lots of beautiful insights and Baruch Hashem. So, may Adonai bless you for just your diligence and studies and sharing everything for this Haftarah. All right. Well, this is the end of our time with the Haftarah, so I will say our closing bracha, and here we go. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Zor Kol HaOlamin Zadik BeKol HaDorot HaEl HaNeeman HaOmer VeOseh HaMdaber UmKayem Shekol Davarav Emet Vazerek. Neeman atahu Adonai Eloheinu, ve neemanim devareka vedavar echad, midvareka achor, lo yashuv recham ki el melek neeman verakamanata, baruk ata Adonai ha el ha neeman bekol devarav, biskut mashiach yeshua, amen. 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 Well, this is Shomer and Hasis sending you a Shavuot Tov and many blessings over the rest of your studies and Shalom. Shalom.